Hello and welcome to the podcast of Tech EU. I am your host, Andrew Degler, and this is a special episode of our podcast put together in collaboration with our friends at The Next Web. Today we are going to talk about data, mobility, smart transportation and everything in between and of course about the challenges of these industries that they face these days. First we'll have a brief interview on the topic and later open the discussion for a fascinating panel of entrepreneurs. To kick things off I am very happy to introduce my guest Carolina Korth, the head of strategy for Southwest Europe at Siemens Mobility and the initiator and ambassador of female voice in mobility. Hi Carolina, thanks a lot for joining today. Thank you for having me. This episode of our podcast is brought to you by Data Market Services Accelerator, or DMS. It is a program backed by the European Commission, which provides training and investment opportunities to data-driven startups at no cost. DMS invites 50 startups from across Europe to receive training in key topics, such as data science, GDPR, and intellectual property, alongside with mentorship from a consortium of industry-leading experts. If you want to find more and join with your startup, do head over to datamarketservices.eu and of course, I will leave a link in the show notes for you to follow. Now, Carolina, I have already mentioned your official titles that I just copied from your LinkedIn page, but what is it that you actually do these days? Yes, so I'm responsible for strategy and digitalization at Siemens Mobility. Siemens Mobility is the provider of all mobility solutions from road to rail, including also like data-based mobility solutions. And I am, for these 10 countries in Southwest Europe, responsible to find best ways of being successful, best ways of addressing customer needs and recognizing also new customer needs. Right. Uh, and uh, then what does it actually mean in plain English? What's your daily responsibilities like? So um, I think that there, every day obviously is very, um, very different. We do have a lot of currently a lot of approaches to better assess the market and how the market, for example, is changing because of COVID situation. This is, for example, right. like something that is literally filling all my days, uh, all my days um, these days. Um, what uh, this is also about, like analyzing, okay, what are what are the new customer needs? How the funding is going to change? How the investment streams are going to change in each country, for example, because of the COVID? Um, so these are like the analysis that we are doing uh, for the entire Southwest Europe. So for all these countries and some assigned African countries that are also reporting to, to our region in order to identify, okay, so how to better respond to these needs of this new market, to this new reality. Siemens is a company that already has like is on the market like 170 years. So I think that what, uh, what, what is peculiar about this company is that we are pretty good in anticipating changes that are in the market. Perhaps we are not the quickest company if we compare ourselves with, uh, with startups, but we are good in preparing ourselves for the changes that are upcoming in the market. And for, for us, for example, like this COVID situation is one of the change that we want to be prepared. So this is, for example, Absolutely. right now, part a very big part of the oldest strategical decisions, believe me. <laughs> right. And uh, so this is the Siemens part. And what is female voice in mobility then? Right. So I, I worked before joining, before joining Siemens Mobility, and I joined one half years ago. I have been working in, in healthcare industry and in healthcare industry, I've seen that there was a pretty good percentage of women uh, working and also being in the leadership position, like being decision makers. When I joined to mobility, I was pretty surprised how few women do we have in the, in the industry, generally working in the industry. So worldwide at Siemens, we have only 20% 20, uh, 20 of women. Um, in, as in Spain, the percentage is a little bit higher because of more women studying engineering, but it's like right now by 25%. It is still very low because if you look at the ridership, like who is using, for example, public transport, it's 50-50. So in order to be better and to be truly passenger centric and to have be being really obsessed by the end user and really anticipating all the changes and all the needs on the market, I believe that it is in the interest of the company to increase the percentage of women that are also on um, like this, making decisions, not only like working within the company, but like really making decisions. 
That's why I started an initiative that it's not only for Siemens, but also for other companies in the mobility industry in order to increase female voice in the mobility um, in the decision-making positions. Right. Yeah, this makes a lot of sense. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much for, for this work. Now, we have uh, decided to focus uh, in this episode on data and mobility. So what would you say, what do data and mobility actually mean for the concept of uh, smart city and smart transportation today? Yeah, so as I've been like already on so many panels about smart cities. And I really <laughs> like asking the questions always, would you prefer to live in a smart city or in an analog city? Because the that's a really good question. Is, yeah. yeah, because the truth is like, yeah, but what is the, yeah, I'm saying analog city, not to say stupid city, you know, but like we want a comfortable life. We want to, uh, and also we want to have comfortable mobility. And comfortable mobility means the mobility that better reflects our needs. And our needs are not static. Our desires are not static. Our lifestyle is also fluctuating and changing. No? Right now, because of COVID, before, like, because of weather, because of vacation, there are so many factors that are influencing our needs. And only if we gather, analyze, and, um, and, based the, um, and design offerings based on the real-time data, we can better reflect the, the, the needs that like all the passengers are having. Otherwise, we are making some assumptions that, for example, what is the peak hour? The peak hour used to be something totally different uh, in February than it's now because the ridership has changed. So only the city that is able to gather real-time data and analyze the real-time data can anticipate the needs and can better offer and can offer us convenience. So I think that like smart city is for me the city that is responding to what I want. So um, so the question is like, is the future smart? Yeah, we all want to live in a city that is convenient, that like really understand what we need. Right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to always center on the consumer, that is citizen in this case. And uh, you, uh, since you work uh, with uh, Simmons Mobility, I would expect that you have sort of a big picture of the industry. And this is something that I really uh, wanted to ask you to share with us. What do you think the landscape of the industry is like of smart mobility and smart city and smart transportation? And also, if you have any particular niches, let's say, and products that you find the most interesting, that would also be great to, to hear. Yeah, so I think that it is uh, it is a pretty dense in this uh, industry, and because we as a company and we are like the only company on the market that is addressing both rail and road, which means we have like very complete portfolio, and I see a lot of players like small players, regional players, a lot of startups entering. It used to be very regulated company and a, a, a very regulated industry and the industry very much owned by like very big players. Right now, because of micro mobility and because of changing trends in mobility, I also see more startups um, that are um, that are securing their um, they space. I think that right now, if you are asking me like, okay, so what is interesting? I think. We have all these discussions about smart cities, about public transport and so on. And um, and we need to think, okay, how to encourage people to stop using cars? And I think that like if we want to encourage people to stop using cars or start using cars in a smarter way, for example, don't spend so much time finding uh, finding parking slot and so on, we need to um, we need to concentrate like, we need to deliver them solutions that uh, that deliver the same level of convenience and i think that like because whenever we are speaking about the the entire sustainability aspect i think that we can only encourage people to leave their cars behind and change something in their day to day behavior if we really guarantee the convenience that uh, that they have uh, that that they currently have with the car. So, for example, for me, one of the striking solution is mobility as a service. Mobili mobility as a service um, is is a kind of platform that allows you to book your door to door trip uh, using only one application. So, imagine right now, if I would like to go from Madrid city center where I live to the beach in Valencia or Barcelona, I would need to do several several um, individual transactions. I would use several machines. I would use several booking systems 
because there is a bus, there is a taxi, there is a train, perhaps there is a flight in between and so on. So basically, for me, mobility as a service is bringing it to one place and allowing me to manage my trip from one application. And I think that this is exactly the convenience that we need in order to rethink the, the, the way that we move and make cities really smart. Right. And do you, th do you see these kind of solutions sort of rising uh, in the industry, on the industry landscape? I do. I do. So I think that like the very first one was in Finland. And mm -hmm. now, um, uh, yeah, and now I see that there are several, um, several others appearing. And I'm just like mentioning it because we at Siemens, we, we are carefully um, um, following this field. And, and I am, I'm, I'm proud that like the, the company was humble enough to, to recognize that, um, perhaps uh, it's better to in this moment to acquire a player than to develop our own solution. And, and we decided to acquire one company called Hakon from, from Hanover that, that were basically leading this topic that they have been listed by MIT as one of the most innovative companies in the world exactly targeting mobility as a service so we also have in our in our portfolio um the company that is that is doing mobility as a service but i see right now a lot of um startups like leaving the accelerators for example like combining blockchain methodology and mobility as a service and so on because it is an issue and i think that um right now i don't see a lot of applications like um that uh, there are some cities that really solved these problems com completely. And as long as the problem is not solved, there is a potential for startups and other companies to address this issue. Right. And this, uh, this brings me perfectly to the next question, and that would be about corporate innovation, since you have uh, quite a bit of experience working uh, uh, with the corporate and working with startups. So how important actually do you think is this uh, startup corporate kind of collaboration in the smart mobility industry? Is it possible to sort of do without? Yeah. So I wouldn't even say it is startup and corporate collaboration. I would say in general co collaboration. I think I, I like saying that, like, okay, like easy problems are gone. All the problems that right now we are having in the mobility industry or in also in other industries are complex and they require collaboration, collaborate, collaboration with governance, collaboration with cities, collaboration between startups and corporates. So I think it is very crucial that everybody practice this um, collaboration muscle. Right. We um we have our own um scouting department um uh, as a company so we are carefully scanning what are the startups that are relevant for us that we could um set up either pilots with them but also go b obviously beyond the pilots and find a way to go to market together. Uh, we acquired two companies one in Barcelona uh, one uh, one in Germany like in the last years. But we also want to make sure that we are also using our internal talent. No, I've been working before in pharmaceutical company and I was responsible exactly for global scouting. And that was different because that was the company that didn't have so much IT expert expertise internally. In, at Siemens, like here, only in Spain, I have almost 400 engineers. So, so we also want to make sure that we are also better using these talents, but like also using new methods to work with these talents. So, for example, uh, we kicked off an entrepreneurship program, allowing all the employees to rise, rise their hands with their own ideas and act as entrepreneurs, starting their own idea, building a, a small company within Siemens Mobility. And for those employees, we also gave 20% of their time to develop their ideas and to develop like, um, to, to develop an MVP that they can present to the, to the clients. So I think that it is going much more beyond like startup and corporate collaboration right now. Right now, some of these startups, um, that we created internally will be working with some of the startups that are already in the outer world. I think it's all about finding ways to collaborate, not only corporates and startups, but in many ways. 
And speaking of collaboration, uh, there are corporates, there are startups, there are the consumers, and of course, there are cities. And these cities are, in a way, gatekeepers, of course, because they, in many ways, decide uh, what sort of uh, smart city technologies, what sort of products they would like to implement. And uh, hence the question, how do you, how open do you think are European cities in particular to all sorts of uh, innovation? I think it is changing. Now, I have to admit that I've been living in, in Asia. I've been living in Singapore before. And yeah, obviously, I, I think that we do not have the same level of speed and uh, penetration of, of innovation in, in, in our systems in Europe. And I think that like for a very long time, I had a feeling that European cities are very much behind, that very often like also the regulation didn't reflect the current level of technology. Very often the cities also didn't know what is available on the market. So whenever they were um, formulating the tender requirements, they were basically describing solutions that are already obsolete and basically buying like some obsolete technologies. I think right now this is changing. Um, there are organizations like EIT Urban Mobility, which um, brings together big cities, corporates and startups to work together on uh, on innovation and solve problems of, of cities. There are more cities that are working closely with startups, for example, like the city of London. Um, there are like there are cities that are definitely opening up. Um, there is a big um, big data cluster in Madrid when also like city of Madrid is inviting Inter, um, startups, um, researchers, and big corporates to work on the um, um, on the mobility topic. So I think it is changing. I think that we don't feel it yet because it is changing now. But I guess that like in a few years' time, we will just like see that also this innovation being implemented, not only analyzed carefully with different cities, but also implemented in the cities. But I think that like over the last years. The city opened up to um, towards uh, yeah to, towards innovation and towards the smart mobility. Do you think there are regional differences here? What would be the difference between Madrid and Amsterdam and London and Berlin and any other cities? Um, so I think that in the past the the differences were bigger, but um, now I see that there is much more exchange between the cities. The cities are much more and openly discuss the difficulties in the implementation that they are having, in um, like in different organization when different stakeholder different uh, different stakeholders from the cities participate. So I think that. We do see, um, I don't know, for example, like, yeah, like mobility as a service is coming from Helsinki also for a reason, no? Because there are some cities that like, with its nature, perhaps has, has more like, uh, um, ease to, to innovate because they are also, um, smaller sometimes. Sometimes they have like less obsolete systems. So basically they have this, um, the results of the innovation are seen much quicker. No, um, so sometimes I think that we we should not mix things. How innovative the city is, and if we can already see that, because obviously innovate in the city or like make like digital st train station. It's much it's much more difficult if you have historical building where every, where you have so many restrictions and so on, like of how to make it smart and change it. So the smart mobility, smart transportation innovation was uh, going its uh, merry way, and then uh, coronavirus happened. So what do you think is uh, going on in the industry now, and what uh, what sort of influence have you seen uh, from the corona outbreak? Oh, well, I think that COVID brought a true transformation uh, like of different parts of our life. No? I think that, like for example, we are all making collective experience that we can make tech conferences uh, online, that we can make startup pitches online, that we can work online, that we don't need to commute. And that basically has a massive impact of like, if we live and work differently, then obviously the mobility is totally different. So I expect uh, that, that right now, if we just like have a look at data, yeah, the definition of a peak hour is something totally different because right now we are not moving as we uh, as we did before we pay more um we also pay more um, attention to to social distancing and i think that that's um 
that's something that we need to take into account. Like last, uh, I think it was like last year, we had um, 55 millions of passengers in, um, in Metro de Madrid. These data and all the data that has been generated by all these passengers are obsolete because now we move differently. So having real-time data about like the passenger movement is, um, is right now absolutely crucial. Also, like Spain, for example, is very touristy location. We had last year, yes, yeah, 6 million tourists in Madrid. They are also all missing. So basically, you have also different streams that you need to take into account. So COVID is changing, A, changing the demand, changing what do we pay attention. So is it is it safety? Is it social distancing? And it brings also like um, opportunity for some companies that are exactly uh, addressing these challenges. Perhaps right now, um, if there are some applications that will really allow you to to find the best uh, way to go from A to B, the shortest. And perhaps now you will also make sure that this is the way of transport, that perhaps it's slower, but it will definitely guarantee you the social distance because the train is less crowded or perhaps it will more nudge you towards uh, micro-mobility and individual uh, individual transport than uh, than public transport, no? So so basically, I see that um, right now our our needs are changing, and like the the, the preoccupation with that, uh, with that, and with with that appears uh, um, appear new opportunities like cleaning robots also for the metro stations and so on. So I just like I see that we will have the time before and after. So I expect that like the new uh, projects that we are going to address in the sector of mobility are going to uh, are going to be totally different. Right, absolutely. And this is a great time to uh, bring the conversation uh, to our uh, startup panel. Carolina, thank you so much for answering uh, these uh, questions that I had. And please uh, stay with us now. And uh, we are going to talk more with our uh, thank entrepreneurs. You. Thank you so much, Carolina. And uh, while our panel is unmuting their mics, uh, a quick reminder for everyone, this episode is brought to you by Data Market Services. That is an equity-free program backed by the European Commission. The program offers much making with investors, mentorship, and even a chance to get a free ticket for the next web conference in Amsterdam. Head over to datamarketservices.eu for more information on how to boost your startup. Now, let me introduce today's great panelists. First, Antonio Jara, CEO at Hopu. Hi, Antonio. Thanks for joining. Hello, everybody. Now, uh, there is uh, Joris Yelov, the Chief Commercial Officer at Rodeo. I hope I pronounced it correctly. Hi, Joris. Uh, thank you for being here. Hello, Andre. You pronounced it fantastically. And we have Linus Frank, the co-founder of Vesputi. I hope I pronounced this one correctly. <laughs> Hi, Linus. Uh, thank you for being here. Hi, Andre. Thank you for inviting me. And of course, we still have with us Carolina uh, Korth of Simmons Mobility. Now, uh, if I may start uh, the panel with a question for uh, the entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurial part of the panel, uh, let's do a quick introduction round. Uh, tell me quickly about yourself and what your company is doing, uh, starting with uh, Linus. Yeah, hi. Um, uh, as Andre already said, I'm Linus. I'm co-founder of Vesputi. That's how you actually pronounce it. <laughs> And yeah, I'm 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 the managing director, so I'm responsible for all the all the business topics. Um, what we are working on is basically in the line with uh, mobility as a service. What Carolina was talking about, um, and we are working on solving the whole um, data issues. Um, so the whole topics of integrating different solutions from a data perspective um, through APIs. Um, that's what we're working on and trying to help fix the issue and provide better experience to customers uh, traveling in a city from one city to another city or even in between countries. Perfect. Understood. Antonio, uh, Hopu, uh, what is it? Okay. Uh, Hopu is a company fo focused on supporting urban decision for cities. So we are also in over 30 cities across Europe supporting the climate change mitigation. And our main focus is trying to make data uh, transform into action plans and make sure that data-driven uh, urban design is developed in all the cities across Europe. Now we have a lot of opportunities regarding mobility, Green Deal, and all the climate change in general. And I think that is mo now more than ever 
important to use data in a proper way. Absolutely. And uh, Joris Yelov, uh, uh, Rodeo, uh, what, uh, what does it do? What's Rodeo? Andre, it's very simple uh, to put this in a few words, but uh, then probably nobody would understand it. What we basically do, we're, we're a startup from the Netherlands, uh, uh, by the way. Uh, we offer road quality insights and road maintenance requirement predictions, and those are all uh, data-based. Uh, we do that by sourcing satellite data, uh, smartphone data, and smart vehicle data, so for the more modern cars. Uh, that data is then processed, it is analyzed in our systems, and we bring these insights through our platform service. Right. It sounds very interesting. And uh, just to make it a little bit uh, even more understandable, let's say, uh, let yeah. us try to make a sort of a thought experiment uh, for everyone uh, on the panel. So uh, starting with uh, you, Igoris, imagine there is a city... Mm -hmm. uh, that's uh, totally analog, as Carolina put it uh, earlier. And now this city wants to go all in with your solutions. What changes for the city, uh, for, for its life, how it becomes better, how it becomes different? It would become a lot better, only you wouldn't really notice it. And uh, I'd have to explain myself a bit there. Uh, nobody notices when there's less traffic incidents occurring. Nobody notices when there's less time lost in road construction, in, in traffic jams. Uh, nobody notices when a ride has been more comfortable than it was before. Uh, it's the bad things that people notice and it's the bad things they remember. So uh, traffic jams, discomfort, poorly maintained roads and stuff like that. And those are exactly the things that we are providing. So uh, providing a, a, a solution for and that we are preventing in everyday traffic. Right. Yeah, I understand that. Linus, is it uh, similar for you or would, uh, would a city going uh, uh, all in with your solutions uh, uh, notice, uh, notice it better? Uh, I think they would notice it. Um, I think especially people um, that, would, that, that live in a city, they would kind of live the, uh, in a world that Car Carolina already explained a little bit. In the end, they would be able to, um, to travel seamless from A to B using, um, using all the mobility solutions um, without a hassle of uh, various registrations, various apps, or or whatsoever. Um, on top, the whole world would a little bit would be a little bit more open. So I think we would not just have the solutions we see today, and they would be connected, but we would actually have better apps, better digital solutions for the customers, um, because people would be able to concentrate on developing them and not on fixing fixing issues in the back end. Right. Antonio, how about your imaginary city? What would it be like? For, for us, the, the, the future city is, as I mentioned, one sustainable city that is really supported by artificial intelligence and data-driven actions, plans, that we are really able to get a net zero emissions approach and that even we can manage to have a sustainable growth without impacting longer our, our, our environment. This will be the ideal and will demonstrate that we are really in a, in a, in a, in a future place. I see. Now, uh, Joris, uh, a yes. question, uh, question for you. Uh, you know, I think in a way, uh, the whole smart mobility and smart city industry sort of let me down. Because let's say five years ago, uh, when uh, this uh, was all in much more of an early days, I thought that by the year 2020, we would have been much further ahead. We would, uh, we would have so many cool things. I mean, I'm not talking flying cars here, just nice, smart city-related things. And it doesn't seem to me that our cities have gotten quite as smart as I would expect them to five years ago. Do you agree with this statement? And what do you think would be the reason here? What was the challenge? I certainly agree with the statement, uh, uh, Andre, but I, uh, I must also add that you have to be ambitious always. So <laughs> it's not really uh, a question of not being able to execute on it, but the, uh, if the, the hope and the ambition is there, that's already a good starting point. But uh, generally speaking, authorities are typical late adopters to new technology. That is where I have to also agree with Carolina on. Uh, besides legislations and uh, long tender procedures, there's the odd privacy issue. Uh, we have to at least acknowledge that when public money is being spent, uh, the risk of political impact or simply being held accountable afterwards uh, kind of tends to slow down the processes of decision making even further. So uh, this is why when new technologies are finally implemented, they sometimes are no longer that relevant or as innovative anymore as they were before. 
And since it's simply the way our society is organized, I doubt it will ever change. I mean, this is this is not something that we can change, and even the COVID period will change, I guess. Right, Linus, is this something you're uh, seeing as well in your work? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I agree with 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 most of the points. I think in uh, in the city environment or or the public tender environment, you have the same that you often see in uh, in big corporations. In the end, let's let's say the 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 acceptance of failure failure or the idea to actually implement uh, MVPs, test them, keep developing. Um, there, it, it's most of the time not the approach, but it's rather like a, a, a huge public tender that already defines what needs to be done, um, and then the risk is mitigated by doing or choosing something that has already been done somehow. So you copy something, and when it's implemented, it's ten years old. That's the that's that's kind of the the issue. Do you see any solutions to this, or is this something we're gonna uh, get used to living with? I think it's already being being discussed a lot that people should accept more failure, that that they should launch their products quicker, test, get feedback from the market. Uh, I think it's not really done yet in in in, in that market, um, but people are starting. They they're already talking about it, so I think it's a, it's on the right path. Uh, and I hope that way um, development gets better and the, the path gets a little bit smoother. Nevertheless, the whole topic of public tenders, it will, it will not change. So it will always stay a pretty long process. Um, but by opening up the whole data topic, I think innovation will still get faster uh, because people can, can build their own solutions and they do not need to get paid by um, by a city or a government um, through a public tender but they can actually build their own their own model around it and don't don't need to work on a project basis we can always hope for the best of course uh, carolina anything yeah, you wanted exactly. to, to add if i could just like say something because i think that like i i just i share with you um, this disappointment no that it hasn't uh, yeah we we haven't done enough during the last five years but if you think we did have quite a new players, no? So like the micro mobility appeared during the last five years and so on. So the, there were some changes. And I think that right now it's the moment where the cities are opening up. So um, I would really encourage every single startup to find ways. And right now the cities are opening these ways to establish conversation, like to, to encourage them to, to have pilots and so on. Although even pilots within the cities are pretty complex, no? So for example, within the, um, within the um, European Union, we have the EIT Urban Mobility, which is basically exactly that, the collaboration between corporate cities and startups, exactly to avoid that the, the um, cities are asking some, for something which is basically not really cool, that they need like one year to, to develop the product and so on, as, to develop the tender requirement and so on. And at the same time, we need to always think whenever we, we discuss about the smart city, like what is in there for the citizen, no? Uh, look, even like the, such an ambitious project, and we are all speaking about like being aggressive and ambitious, like side, sidewalk with Google and Vancouver has been stopped because it generated a lot of data um, and also some privacy concerns. And at the end of the day, the citizens of Vancouver didn't have the feeling that it's really providing a lot of benefit. So I think that like we also need to, uh, whenever we are speaking about like smart uh, smart data and being aggressive and so on, like what is in there for the citizen in order to have their buy-in early on. Right. And you mentioned here a very good point, actually, that was uh, already uh, already voiced uh, two weeks ago on this uh, podcast uh, in our uh, VC special. Uh, was, it was uh, an, a sort of piece of advice uh, for startups that if you did have issues with a city administration before, if you couldn't get a pilot in a city before, try to contact these uh, people, these authorities again, because they might be singing a very different song right now. And we just actually saw uh, a good example of this just a couple of uh, days ago, I think, in the UK, sort of a large-scale example, uh, the country decided to move the e-scooter pilots uh, that were supposed to start only next year uh, to start uh, this year, and a few uh, large-scale sort of e-scooter startups are already uh, getting uh, getting to it, and uh, we will probably see e-scooters on the UK roads much sooner than we expected. Now, let us change the topic a tiny little bit. Uh, all the three uh, entrepreneurs uh, uh, that we have on the panel today are 
coming from the DMS Accelerator program that I already mentioned today. And I am really curious, what was it like uh, for you? What was the program like? Uh, what did you learn? What was your experience? Uh, Antonio, can you start uh, by uh, sharing uh, your, your experience? So yeah, for me, it was extremely positive experience. So I really recommend to everybody. For me, there is a, a very big challenge, uh, the current entrepreneurship uh, domain, that is the data economy. I think data economy is a, is, a, is a concept that we know that will be the future and we know that everything will be oriented in that, in that level. But at the same time, people who is used to sell sensors, hardware, as we are used to, or sending software platforms, at the, 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 the attraction level to go to just selling data is making much more difficult and much more different the business approach and the business modeling. So data market service is the, an excellent opportunity for this disruptive that is not so much uh, experience as in other classical business to understand how really make a successful and profitable and sustainable uh, data economy based company. And there is, I feel, is the best place to, to understand that and all the coaching, training, mentorship, interaction with different partners and institutions really help you to, to make this whole really work and make it right. feasible. Joris, what were you looking for uh, from uh, to get from this program and uh, did you get it after all? I have to be honest here, Andre. Uh, Andre, in in retrospect, uh, due to the stage of the company, that, uh, of the company uh, at the time, so the situation that we were in, we were a, a true startup. Uh, we were in a lot of uh, programs at once, so we haven't really been able to put our best effort into the program. So we were also not able to fully enjoy all the benefits this program has to offer, and there are in fact many. Uh, connecting with the next web, uh, like we're doing today. Uh, which is a leading platform in the industry, has been a, a, one of the advantages. And I would advise any new applicant to invest more time and effort to go uh, full in on this program because it will absolutely be worth it in the, in the long run. Uh, for us, uh, I'm right now I'm experiencing the, the, the benefits of it. But uh, again, we could have done a little better. And uh, this is on our, on our end. Right. Thanks for being honest about it. And then uh, I would just have a quick follow-up question. Do you think that uh, uh, for startups working in this industry, accelerators are actually a good thing to go into, a good way to grow and build up uh, their capabilities and their business? I think so. Uh, I think because uh, accelerators tend to attract a lot of attention of, uh, of VCs and of, of, of big companies that you can uh, later be a, a strategic partner to or maybe have as an investor. But on the other hand, I also think because there are, uh, right now there are many accelerators and you have to be really picky on, on finding the right one that really fits your company, that fits your startup, in which you believe that will bring you further. Uh, there are a lot of accelerated programs that act as such a, uh, well, like, like a franchise, you know, they're, they're in it to make money and then they don't, don't really care that much about the startup companies that they're helping. So be very uh, picky about which one you choose. And if you choose one, go in all the way. Right. And yeah, this is a great advice. And uh, especially, especially now, especially in these circumstances. Now, Linus, uh, what was your experience uh, with the DMS Accelerator like? What did you come, uh, what did you come out of it with? I mean, so far it's great. We've, we've used it in, in different ways. We have, for example, um, joined the next web conference, uh, in Amsterdam last year, um, with the program. Um, we've participated in some webinars about, um, topics like IP, uh, which was super helpful for us. And yeah, I mean, I, I think for us it was a, it was a good way. As just mentioned, we, we are also part of like local accelerator programs. Um, with, with this one, we, we joined the European one. So it was kind of a, it was a good add on to what we already had to get some more, um, exposure, um, on a, on a larger geographic reach. And yeah, we're, we're happy with it. Met, met many interesting people and potential partners through the program. So I can, I can just recommend it in the end. Um, I mean, it's, it also always depends on what you put in, um, but I think it's a, it's a good program because you, you have so much to offer. They offer so much. You cannot, you cannot use everything, but nobody is also like kind of, kind of mad if you just pick out what's, what's best for you at that moment. Um, and that's what we did. So I can, I can recommend it. Completely understandable. Uh, Linus, I'm going to stay with you actually for the next question. You are based in Germany, right? In the glorious city of Leipzig. Correct. 
So I'm not sure if you heard uh, our uh, last uh, podcast episode from uh, from last week. Uh, we discussed governmental support uh, for startups and uh, whether it's working and so on. And Germany has been doing quite a bit uh, on this uh, on this front. So the question for you as an entrepreneur, are you feeling this governmental support in your uh, country? And uh, are you using it? And is there anything that could or should have been done different? Are you are you talking about general or about the corona situation? Uh, the, oh yeah, I, I am of course uh, talking about the COVID nineteen related programs that were put together uh, reasonably recently. Okay, um, I mean, I, I think there has been done a lot in 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 our in our specific case. We have not we have not really been hit by um, by the crisis that much. I mean, from from a team perspective, we've always been remote, so there was no no change. And in the end, it, it seemed like some of the clients they finally had time to um, to think about the projects and the topic we wanted to discuss with them. So we actually got got many new new leads and ideas from the government support. I mean, I think the the, the 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 crisis and also the support packages they have they have the issue that you actually do not know when the crisis will be over. So I think we will also see in 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 six months how well these packages actually worked. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> not, not not much more right. to say. I think they they have done what they what they can. I I think for specific edge cases, they all the the help always doesn't work, and you will always have cases where. Um, or companies that that want something different or something else, but I think in general they they, they have reacted quickly and and, and fast. They they are paying out um, the support they give. So yeah. Right. Yeah. In that latest episode in the series, we also had a representative uh, from TechLeap from the Netherlands. So a question for Joris uh, from the entrepreneurial side: How is that? Uh, how has it been working for you? The governmental support. Uh, well. It is being offered governmental support in the Netherlands uh, through TechLeap, actually, and really we shouldn't and we couldn't be too critical of our government at this stage. Um, however, uh, and having said that, and when you hear however, it usually means disregard anything I said before. Uh, I think initial measures of support were not applicable for startups and scale-ups. Uh, that took a little while for them to adopt to that. Uh, the Dutch government acted very quickly by dedicating extra money, especially for these two groups of companies and uh, ad hoc measures uh, will always have their flaws. So uh, this is something that was to be expected. I think they're being very generous about it. Uh, and I also think that uh, opening a 100 million uh, euro fund uh, will probably not really cover the costs that they're going to be spending uh, in the next couple of months. So raise some more money, governments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most certainly. So uh, are you, as uh, as in Rodeo, uh, are you hit hard uh, by uh, by the crisis? So did you have to did you have to uh, use uh, the uh, governmental support offered? Uh, we haven't been using it so far. Um, uh, I, I think right now, because like I said, there's a hundred million in, and I believe, uh, applications for over 500 million have already been submitted. So, uh, the chances of you getting any money now are, are very slight right now. I, I, I'm feeling more confident in finding a, a, a good financial investment than, uh, getting state money actually. Uh, and, uh, I also kind of think that even if we're, uh, we're a startup and we're still developing, uh, so we're, we're pre-rev right now. Even then, I think you should find a, a good investor and not rely too much on the on the government for that. Uh, of course, we've been hit by COVID as well. We had to all go work remote, which wasn't that difficult for us because we, we already were working remote quite a lot. And our biggest issue right now is uh, that all the projects that we had planned to do abroad in this period have all been postponed until we are allowed to travel again. So that is the biggest issue we are facing right now. Right, of course. Now let us turn to the southern part of uh, Europe. Antonio, uh, how was uh, your uh, relationship with the governmental uh, support programs been so far? So so far with the governmental support programs, we are we are starting to use the innovation procurement. That I feel that for the area we are working on in our particular case, because we are working on smart cities. Is very relevant. It's about how to make easier to uh, purchase innovation and to test and validate things by public administration without requiring all the cl classical certification, maturity, etc. level. 
And this is, I feel, one of the much more relevant instruments that we are taking benefit. Right, right. And how and how has it been for you in general? How hard uh, have you been hit by the crisis itself? So right now, we are, we are quite lucky because uh, at the end of the day, public administration is our main customer and they are extremely aware about all the, all the situation. And I don't know in other countries, but for example, in Spain, we are very special because uh, due to COVID, all contracts with public administration have a specific uh, opportunity to increase the amount of the contract uh, automatically by 10% of the original value based on the COVID effect. So it's very relevant that from the very beginning, already public contracts, not all of them, but this at least legally is, is blended, that they could increase even the amount in order to understand that this extension of period of time, at the end of the day, we are maintaining people working, we are doing a lot of effort to recover the situation, so that also has economical implication. And from the first aspect of legal perspective, they are already considering this it's not very high, but at least it's symbolic increase that justify the current situation. So, so far, I, I am at least comfortable to feel that they are taking into account all the consequences. Great. This is great to hear. And Antonio, I'm going to uh, stay uh, with you for the uh, last uh, question of this uh, panel discussion. And I want everyone just to share one piece of some important learnings that you have already had about growing a data and mobility business in the year 2020 with everything that is going around us. So, Antonio, if we can start with uh, with your learning. So, my learning already was that the data economy is mainly based on service, added value service. So, I think that the first we need to transfer to the people is the the kind of service they will empower them, and after they will understand the under the underbelly of the data. I think data extraction is yet a big challenge for majority of customers and majority of people as part of this digital transformation. So we need yet to learn much more how to transfer it. But I think providing the clarification of, about how enable other value service a good mechanism to, to make them to understand the value of data. Great. Thank you so much. Uh Yoris, how about you? Uh, I guess most important is that, uh, and this would be a learning, I guess, for every startup right now, especially in this situation, take a moment to look at your venture. Ask yourself, is it still as relevant as it was before? Do you still believe in what you're doing? If the answer is no, I think you should go find something else to do because it's likely not going to change soon. Uh, if the answer is yes, get your act together. Bootstrap or do whatever you need to keep your business afloat. Expand your network, work on your company branding, and just be out there. Make sure that everybody knows who you are and what you are about. And remember, because when you're starting during a crisis like this, the chances that you'll be able to eventually have a chance to profit from the economic rise is, is, is also there. So uh, looking, up, looking on the bright side, things can only get better. Yeah, that's uh, th that's certainly uh, something uh, very important. And uh, by the energy uh, you're saying it uh, with, I take it that your own answer to the hard question was positive. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> right. Linus, what's your learning from uh, the first uh, five uh, almost uh, uh, months uh, of this uh, year? Uh, I mean, I think always, always keep the positive view on things. There's always going to be negative. Focus on the positive uh, in, in the crisis case. Take a step back, focus on the product, do things that, that add a lot of value that maybe sometimes you haven't been doing in the past because of, of, of too much stress or whatever. Uh, think about what you can do now in peace um, that creates the most value for the company or for your product and, uh, and do it. Uh, and then come out of the crisis stronger than you went in, which is all like the ha ha ha, <laughs> easily said, but pretty hard to do. Uh, but I think it's possible, and 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 people should should try their best. Yeah, I'm I'm really hoping to hear more of those ha ha has when we are out <laughs> in this uh, crisis. Now, Carolina, uh, yeah. it's uh, it's your last uh, uh, last chance to uh, share uh, some of your some learnings insights, and uh, something right? great to wrap it up. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I think that like I really like sometimes the quotes from from Churchill, no, and he said, "Never miss a good crisis." And I think that right now it is exactly the situation. It's a crisis situation. So my encouragement, my learning is. Don't miss it. Let's not miss it. Because right now the cities are also sometimes open. They are desperately searching for innovation. Only just like to, uh, to give you an example, just today we implemented in the Netherlands a solution that allows uh, cities um, 
uh, have social distancing in public transport. So you can imagine like this, or you could say like a collaboration of two dinosaurs with one university and it worked out and it worked out very quick. So recognize the opportunity and go for it. No, like be, be persistent. So I think that like, this is like one of the, the learnings and the second, and it's universal, it's in 2020 and it will be in the future build alliances. So I think that like, we all need to practice how to build collaboration muscles and this is, I think that like accelerators are really good in like managing the stakeholders and practicing exactly these collaborations with different stakeholders because the problems are complex. And I can imagine that like a single player can go quicker. But I think that if we collaborate, we will just like go further. And this is what exactly cities want. Perfect. This is a great way to wrap things up. Thank you so much. Once again, our great panelists of today, Carolina Kors of Siemens Mobility, Antonio Hara, CEO at Hopu, Joris Yelov, Chief Commercial Officer at Rodeo, and Linus Frank, co-founder of Vesputi. Thank you so much. You are amazing. And uh, this has already become a sort of a tradition, but just try to imagine that we are all together at a conference. We are in the venue. We are on stage. And uh, now it is, uh, it is my turn to ask the audience to give you a huge round of applause that you have so deserved. This is this is all for you. That's hilarious. <laughs> Thank you. Now, before we wrap things up for today, another quick shout out. If you are a startup founder, check out Data Market Services Accelerator funded by the European Commission. Alongside many data-driven trainings, DMS also provides 50 selected startups with bespoke investor matchmaking. And here is how it works. The DMS team will send the profile of each startup to relevant VCs and facilitate meetings, all of it equity-free. Head over to datamarketservices.eu to find out more and make an application. For now, this is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I do hope you enjoyed it. Please help us spread the word, tell a friend or colleague about the show, and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. This episode is created in collaboration with our friends at The Next Web. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at podcast at tech. EU. Wherever you are, we hope you can stay safe and take care of yourself and people around you. Have a good week, and I'm going to talk to you next Monday. Bye-bye.